Well, hey, uh, if you came this morning, you came on an amazing Sunday. Uh, pastors Billy and Kristen Calderwood are the lead pastors of Media City Church in Burbank, California, and they served as, as pastors, but not only that, but they've served as, as, as Callie and I's pastors, um, and have been extreme, I'm, um, I'm talking about the people, sometimes in ministry you have days where you're like, I'm done, I quit, and, and if it wasn't for, for, for their leadership, their investment in us, um, we, we would have already been done. But it's because you need people in your life that are constantly behind you, speaking words and life into you, reminding you who you are in Jesus. And that's what this couple has done for us. And uh, for those of you who are, have been a part of the Morning Conference, either this year or last year, um, you're, you might have been familiar with Kristen as she's led workshops and, and, and spoke, yeah. Um, and you're probably you're trying to figure out, like, who's the pastor's husband, right? Much like for people that come to our church for the first time when Callie preaches. It's like, who's the pastor's husband, right? Anyway, so you get to actually, you're going to be introduced and get to meet uh, the other half as he um, really invests in our congregation this morning. So can we stand on our feet and can we give it up for none other than Pastor Billy Calderwood as he comes and brings the word this morning. Well, thank you guys so much. Um, for those of you that were a part of the morning conference uh, either this week or last year, um, and you uh, got to hear my wife uh, preach, uh, let me just tell you right now, you've already heard the most anointed Calderwood, so wherever your expectations are right now, just, just dial those way down, and we are going to be okay. I love being in Oklahoma. Chris and I love your pastors so much. They are close personal friends of ours. Um, and also they've been great encouragers and supporters in our ministry. So one of our great prayers for them is that God will continue to raise up people that will be like a, they were a Joshua to our Moses in our context. And we're praying that God would raise up tons of people to be like Joshua's as they continue to take the leadership here in Ponca City because they served us so phenomenally well and saw so much fruit alongside of us. But I got to tell you, I love being in Oklahoma. Um, I live in L.A., but I was not, I did not have an L.A. upbringing. Um, there's a lot of stereotypes about Los Angeles, and they're all true. <laughs> they're just, they really are. They're just pretty much all true, at least somewhere. But the state of California is huge, and I grew up in California, but I grew up in a little town called Shandon. Um, the population was 250 people. And it was known for oil production and agriculture, and it was kind of on the edge of the Central Valley, uh, equidistant between Fresno and Bakersfield. Um, it was a little grain farm in town, cow town, super conservative. Uh, we didn't have a TV in our house until I was 15. I was homeschooled until I started taking community college classes. I was super nerdy and socially awkward. I'm like all the things that make you super uncool in L.A., Right, so when God sent me to Los Angeles, it was like culture shock. Like I had lived in L.A. for like L.A., greater Los Angeles area for like five years. Five years I've already been living there. And I go walking into the mall in our town one day, and I'm walking in, and you know those aggressive kiosk people? That they always come and talk to you, and you're like, oh, my God, I do not want to talk to you. But anyway, like this, I was like, okay, I'm going to be nice. But this lady, like, kind of sizes me up. She sees what I'm wearing, and she walks up to me, and she goes, so where are you visiting from? <laughs> I live here. <laughs> this is how I dress. I am not from out of state. Anyway, got a, got a lot of that. Um, my town was, was so small 
that even the other small towns around us, Taft, New Quayama, I mean, places that you, Creston, places you never want to go and you've never heard of, um, they'd be like, people would ask, hey, where are you from? I'm from Shandon. They're like, oh, yeah, you're from Shandon. Like, even my, my town in the midst of small towns was known as the smallest, most, like, out-of-reach town. Uh, and we weren't, like, particularly environmentally conscious. Um, there, was, uh, there was trash service, but most people in town uh, had, like, it was a lot of people retired from the oil industry. So they had a big old 55-gallon drum, and they drop it in the side yard or the front yard sometimes next to their dilapidated car. Out, and it was known as a burn barrel. Anybody here ever see a burn barrel before? Yeah. And you just, you just pour your trash in there and a healthy amount of gasoline. And you just throw a match in there. I swear, like, you drive through our neighborhood, sometimes the neighborhood I grew up in, it looked like Baghdad after the first Gulf War. <laughs> it's just belching black smoke everywhere. And that was pretty normal. People throw a tire in it. I'm like, oh, man. It's crazy. And then our neighbors across the street, like every time, you know, he worked on cars a lot. And every time he was done with a can of WD-40, he'd just throw that in the burn barrel. So you'd be sitting there and you'd just be trying to chill out and, you know, do something, quiet, read a book. And all of a sudden, bam, it sounded like a gunshot. And it's just a can of WD-40 in the burn barrel. So L.A. was a shock to me. Um, and every once in a while, I feel like it's growing on me. But, like, if I ever get a pedicure or eat kale, like, please, please. <laughs> Like somebody from Oklahoma come and get me and fly me out here and detox me, you know, for a little while. Keep meeting people. They're like, oh, yeah, this is my emotional support dog. I'm like, not, okay, just real quick. I'm not down on emotional support dogs, but we've known that about dogs for like 5,000 years, right? If you come home and your dog's happy to see you, it's good for your soul, right? It's called man's best friend forever and ever. But like, here's my emotional support dog. I go, well, that's it? doesn't hunt or herd cattle or anything else. So anyway, L.A. was a real shock to me. Um, and, and like I said, I, I just had a lot, of, uh, you know, a lot of learning curve. But how do we know that if you read the Bible long enough, you realize that God likes calling people who grew up off the radar and using them to change the spiritual outcomes for cities, nations, and people groups? David, John the Baptist, Naomi, and Ruth, Jesus even gets introduced. They say, can anything good come out of Nazareth? So if you grew up off the radar, how many know that God's probably been shaping you and calling you to do something that's more influential than you actually imagined? I remember um, if I walk out of my backyard of my house, I can look across the valley from Burbank, um, and I can see Universal Studios. And I was on a prayer walk, and I'm up in, the, in the, the Verdugo, the foothills of the Verdugo Mountains, just above our house. And I'm walking, and I'm, I'm, from where I sit, I can see ABC, NBC, Warner Brothers, Nickelodeon, Cartoon Network, Universal Studios, DreamWorks. I can see those all from a few blocks above my house as I'm walking and praying. And I'm walking and I'm just, you know, growing up in a little town. You're like amazed that this is where they make the stuff that I see on TV. And, uh, you know, growing up in a little town, you're amazed by lots of things. Like, I'm still, to this day, I'm amazed by architecture. Like, because there wasn't any. You know what I mean? I'm like, I walk past something, I'm like, oh, my God, a two-story building. That's amazing. Like, I just get amazed by stuff, right? So I'm in L.A., and I'm having this moment, and I'm walking and praying, and I'm thinking to myself as I'm walking and praying this afternoon, I'm looking across, the, I'm like, I wonder what films that are going to come out in, like, three years are being greenlit right now. I wonder what these, I wonder how many celebrities are on the lot today shooting some movie. And I honestly felt arrested, boom, hard by the Holy Spirit. And I felt like the Holy Spirit said this to me. 
what's happening on this side of the valley is more interesting to me right now than what's happening on that side of the valley. Because on this side of the valley, I got, a, I got a man who's walking and who's praying for his city. He's praying that God's kingdom will come, and he's praying that God's will would be done. And he reminded me, you have spiritual jurisdiction over all of that. You know, sometimes you can get accustomed to the bondage of your city, and it can just be some so regular and so normal that you just accept it. How many know that the Holy Spirit wants to challenge us to say, you don't have to accept what you've grown accustomed to. You can actually be a person who moves mountains by faith in prayer to see things change. But how many know that sometimes when you're doing that, it's a bit of an uphill battle and and we get discouraged and we need some encouragement? Anybody ready for some encouragement today? So that's what we're going to do. Before I do that, I want to show a quick picture of my family. Um, This is, you already, this is most annoying Calderwood on the right. Um, That's our son, Jeremiah, our daughter, Emma, uh, and our daughter, Bella. You marry a beautiful woman, you get really good looking kids. Um, but I like taking pictures and posting them uh, on- online occasionally uh, for my Instagram follower. <laughs> I think it's TD. I think Pastor TD is by. He gave me a little. He gave me a little courtesy follow. Like we'll just give Pastor Billy a little encouragement. I'll I'll I'll, I'll like his photos every now and then. Um, but here's the thing. How many of you know there's there's what we present, and then there's what's real, right? So. Here's, here's the photo I posted, but here's the, here's the real photo. <laughs> that is like my son and, and my wife are trying to smile, and my daughters are giving me like aggressive side eye because I don't know how to use my camera on my phone and take a proper selfie. They're like, oh, my God, Dad. My daughters, like, I took my kids to the town that I grew up in. They grew up in the L.A. area, right? They, they were born, and, they, you know, they kind of grew up knowing a whole different lifestyle. So I drove them through Shandon, and um, they, were like, they were like, oh, God, Dad, we do not want to go. We've heard your stories. We do not want to go to this town. And I'm, like, so excited, you know, it's showing my childhood. And literally, like, we, you know, so I took them on a driving tour of Shandon. It didn't take long. But, but during that little drive, there was a lot of silence in the back, and I felt a hand. It was my, one of my daughters put, put her hand up on my shoulder and was like, Dad, I'm so sorry <laughs> that you had to grow up here. Now I understand. I'm like, what are you talking about? It was awesome growing up in this town. Anyway, so how many know sometimes God will, God will call you right out of your comfort zone into doing something else? And when you start to do the thing that God's called you to do, it gets a little different. Um, and I'm, I'm telling you, I'm still not used to L.A. Um, and the laws, you know, there. And the, 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 it's pretty liberal, and there's lots of crazy stuff that's going on. I think, you know, if you commit involuntary manslaughter, you can, like, serve three years. But possession of a plastic straw is, like, 15 to life. <laughs> You know what I mean? I was at a restaurant the other day. I'll just tell you this real quick because it's just too good not to. And, and I said, hey, can I have a straw with my drink? And they gave me a paper straw. It's like made out of cardboard. And it stands up in the drink for about 30 seconds before it starts to go. And you put it in your mouth. And it starts to fall. I was like, no one wants cardboard in their mouth. And so I'm like, hey, can I get a proper straw? And the waitress is like, oh, no, those are bad for the environment. They're killing sea turtles. And I'm like, I mean, I like sea turtles. I don't want death to sea turtles. But I'm like, real quick, if I come into your restaurant, drink a beverage out of a plastic straw and leave, and that straw goes on to kill some sea turtles, 
that's on you. You know what I mean? Like, well, you got some crazy anti-sea turtle busboy collecting all the straws and throwing them into the ocean. I'm like, you know, use the trash. You know what I mean? Anyway, so there's a lot of things about L.A. I'm not used to, but I'm still asking Jesus for his grace. Um, and along the, along the process, uh, I'm realizing that I, I need that grace too. In other news, I told Pastor D.D., I'm, I'm flying home to California with an entire backpack full of plastic straws. <laughs> Just start selling them on the street. Hey. <laughs> I got the good stuff. <laughs> There's days that I feel like my, my uh, what I'm presenting to people is, is a sense of confidence and a sense of, hey, I really got it going on. Things are going great. But how many know that there's other times where things are not going great? And, uh, you know, the picture of your life that people ask you how you're doing, and you're like, fine, you're not doing fine. How many of that happens to for people that have been called by Jesus? Sometimes you get weary. You ever get weary? Sometimes you're just tired. Sometimes you've been putting up a fight for a long, long time, and then you just feel like, I don't know how much more fight I have in me. Sometimes you do everything that you think is right, and you end up still with a massive setback. Sometimes you're trying to do a really good job, trying to let the other church people know and your friends and your family and people that, you know, are, you're friends with on Facebook, you know. You're, you're trying not to let them know how much you're actually hurting and how much your life is actually challenging you. And there's sometimes you even ask yourself, where is God? You ever been there? And it's a lot of times we ask ourselves, where is God, after a season where we've been really faithful, and we've tried to do the right things, and we just come up against really hard barriers. And so I want to talk today, the title of this message is Even on Your Worst Day. Even on Your Worst Day. How many know that even on your worst day, God is still faithful? Even on your worst day, God still loves you. Even on your worst day, God still sees you. I want to share about uh, David. Uh, TD started already talking about David today. And I want to talk about a worst day. In other news, I love that, you know, that whole cut off the head and hold it high. Later we find out that uh, David presents the head of Goliath to Saul. Um, I'm imagining Saul just had lunch, and David's like, here. <laughs> Dude, and he's a giant, so that's a big, bloody head. And, and, and Saul's like, oh, thank you, David. <laughs> anyway, this same David. This same David it knows that God is real. This same David knows that God is powerful. This same David, though, has a day that could probably easily be characterized as the worst day of his life. And if you've got your Bible with you or your Bible on your electronic device, you can turn it to 1 Samuel chapter 30. And it says this, David and his men reached Ziklag, this is the place of their home, on the third day after they were marching back from an assignment. And it says, now the Amalekites had raided the Negev and Ziklag. They had attacked Ziklag and burned it, and they had taken captive the women and everyone else in it, both young and old. They killed none of them, but they carried them off as they went on their way. When David and his men reached Ziklag, they found it destroyed by fire, and their wives and sons and daughters taken captive. So David and his men wept aloud until they had no strength left to weep. I don't know how many times you've been there. I've been there a few times in my life. The times that the trauma that I've experienced, the times that the grief that I've experienced, the brokenheartedness that I have experienced, the trial and the pain, the disappointment that I have experienced, the loss of a loved one, the loss of a dream, the loss of something was so deep that I actually wept until I had no strength to weep. I remember a time like that. 
I had, my wife and I were planting a church. We started a church plant when our kids were like, we had four kids under, or three kids under four. We didn't have four kids. Woo. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, you know how to pray for me. Um, we had three kids under four and uh, started planting a church. And um, basically our church had a split because a guy that I had discipled for nine years decided he didn't believe in the Bible, didn't believe in Jesus anymore. And he actually influenced a lot of the younger people in our church and it kind of split our church. I was heartbroken at my failures in leadership. I was heartbroken by the fact that just during that same time, my dad, who was a real strong supporter of ours and lived in a different town but loved on us an awful lot, uh, he died suddenly of a heart attack. He had led worship at a small group, walked outside, suddenly fell dead of a heart attack with no warning. Um, I was exhausted. I was experiencing burnout for the first time. I was trying to go to grad school. I quit. I quit everything. And, and in the midst of all that grief and all that pain and all that failure and all that loss, I remember being at a point where I had wept to the point where I wasn't going to have, I didn't have anything else anymore. And I remember being so tired and I remember being so discouraged. And I remember telling the Lord, I don't have strength to carry on anymore. I don't have anything left in the tank. So I can feel this. You skip down to, ver well, I'll just read verse uh, 5. David's two wives have been captured. Sometimes I try to skip verses like that when I'm preaching in California because people with no biblical knowledge will understand that leveret marriage was really common. And then you have to do like 30-minute aside on the fact that God wants to introduce himself to people even if some of their cultural practices are not what we would say um, are the most in line with the will of God. Anybody thankful that in our time God still reveals himself to us? Like 2,000 years from now, like we would look back on, on polygamy and we're like, God, they were so wrong-headed. Of course, of course, we know because of Jesus that that's true. But I just wonder, like, people are going to be reading my sermons, like, in 2,000 years, and they're like, boy, that boy had a long way to go. <laughs> so I'll, I'm going to, I'll have mercy on the fact that God chooses to use David, even though some greater revelation is going to come. But here it is, David and his men are weeping aloud. And in verse 6, David, it says, was greatly distressed because the men were talking of stoning him. Each one was bitter in spirit because of his sons and daughters, but David found strength in the Lord his God. So it's one thing when you have experienced a lot of personal loss. It's another thing when you and everyone you're leading have also experienced personal loss, and the people you're leading say, it's your fault. Leadership, pray for your pastors, guys. Leadership is not for cowards. And I'm telling you, in the, in the spirit when you want to become a leader for things of the kingdom of God, it's not because you want to be in charge. It's because you want Jesus' kingdom to come and you're willing to go first. But when people go first, they get a lot of criticism. When people go first, they're misunderstood. When people go first, they get blamed for stuff. This is the Amalekites' fault. It wasn't David's fault. But these guys in their grief are about ready to turn on their leader. So David's processing tremendous personal loss, but he's also processing the fact that I may not even have a chance to confront the Malachites because my own men are going to kill me right now. And in all of that grief and in all that exhaustion and all that pain, it says, David found strength in the Lord his God. Then David said to Abiathar the priest, the son of Ahimelech, bring me the ephod, a priestly garment. Abiathar brought it to him, and David inquired of the Lord, Shall I pursue this raiding party? Will I overtake them? Pursue them, he answered. You will certainly overtake them and succeed in the rescue. David and the 600 men with him came to the Besor Valley, where some stayed behind. 200 of them were too exhausted to cross the valley. But David and the other 400 continued the pursuit. Did you know sometimes you and the people around you, you can just get so spent and so burnt and so tired that you just don't have anything left in the tank. So David's now got even a depleted force. 
And I'm imagining he's tired and all his people are tired, but they're continuing this pursuit. They found an Egyptian in a field and brought him to David. They gave him water to drink, food to eat, part of a cake of pressed figs and two cakes of raisins. He ate and was revived for he had not eaten any food or drunk any water for three days and three nights. David asked him, who do you belong to? Where do you come from? He said, I'm an Egyptian, the slave of an Amalekite. My master abandoned me when I became ill three days ago. We raided the Negev of the Carathites, some territory belonging to Judah, and the Negev of Caleb, and we burned Ziklag. David said to him, can you lead me to this raiding party? He answered, Swear to me before God that you will not kill me or hand me over to my master, and I will take you down to them. He led David down, and there they were, scattered over the countryside, eating, drinking, and reveling because of the great amount of plunder they had taken from the land of the Philistines and from Judah. David fought them from dusk until evening of the next day. How many of that's not a short battle? Fights them. As the sun's going down, that battle rages through the full distance of the next day, and they're already tired, but somehow God provides them with strength. None of them got away except for 400 young men who rode off on camels and fled. David recovered everything the Amalekites had taken, including his wives. Nothing was missing, young or old, boy or girl, plunder or anything else. Love that phrase, nothing was missing. David brought everything back. Everybody say, even on your worst day. Tell the person next to you, God will be faithful. Now turn to the person on the other side and apologize that they were your second choice. <laughs> I love that passage of scripture that hangs in all of our four square churches, and I'm staring at it right now, that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I think sometimes we look at stories like this with David and we think, well, that's great. He was David. One of my favorite passages of scripture is in James chapter 5, and it says, Elijah was as human as we are. And he prayed, and God shut up the heavens, and it didn't rain. And then he prayed again, and God opened the heavens, and the, the earth brought forth its crops. You are no more of a sinner than David was. You are no less than a saint than Elijah was. You, they were as human as you. And so what I want to encourage and challenge you to do is every time you read the Bible, don't just say, well, that was so nice for David. I'm so happy that he got everything back. Just say, no, 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 what have I lost? What would God like to restore in my life? What is it that God would like to see change in my community, in my life, in my city? How might the Lord move on my behalf? And I think that passage of Scripture comes down like this massive dare. Look, Elijah was as human as we are. And so I pray that when you read the Bible, you get, as Dietrich Bonhoeffer once said, torn out of the pages of your own life and set down in the midst of holy history. God wants to do it again. The same God that was faithful to David, the same God that was faithful to Ruth and Naomi, the same God that was faithful to the Apostle Paul, the same God that was faithful in this situation can be faithful in our situation. But even on your worst day, God's faithful. Four things I want to say very quickly about this passage, and if you want to write them down, my belief right now is the Holy Spirit's already spoken something to you. And I'm so thankful that the Holy Spirit is an excellent leader. Even when the preacher stinks, the Holy Spirit is amazing. Like, seriously, that's great. So a lot of times when I pray, I, I, I preach, I just pray ahead of time. I'm like, Holy Spirit, you say to people's hearts today whatever they need to hear. 
And if, 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 I, if I hit it, great. But a lot of times when I'm done preaching, I'll pray a lot more than I prep for preaching. You can probably tell. You're like, wow, this, this doesn't seem that prepared. Um, but I will actually pray a lot more than I spend time working on the message because I'm like, Jesus, people need you. They need encouragement. They need power. They need grace. And so a lot of times I'll get done preaching. I'll have somebody come up to me with tears in my eyes. I'm like, oh, here it comes, a compliment for how amazing a communicator I am. And they're like, Pastor, when you said this, it changed my life. And I'm thinking in the back of my mind, I never said that. But the Holy Spirit's really smart. So you're going to hear from the Holy Spirit. But as I go through these points, there might be one that really stands out to you. And maybe something you already heard today is the one thing that you're going to take away today. But the first thing I want to say this is even on your worst day, God will provide his strength. In all of this bitterness and all this grief, it says David found strength in the Lord his God. Guys, if you're at the end, if you feel like I can't hardly imagine what it would look like to continue to be faithful another day, let alone another year or decade. God can strengthen you. When your strength is done, his is just beginning. The Apostle Paul says, I've, de- I've learned to delight in my weaknesses. When I come to a problem and I don't have enough anymore, I'm okay with that because I know God's power is perfected in my weakness. So I don't know where in your life you need strength, where you feel tired of resisting sin, where you t- feel tired of contending for change in your workplace, where you feel tired of, of, of praying for your kids that are going through a hard thing, where you feel tired of just working on the, the relationship in your life, where you feel tired of contending for a promise that God gave you long ago, God says where you're exhausted, where you feel like you can't continue, I will be your strength. Even on your worst day, God will give you strength. And if David can find strength in this moment, so can we in our time. Second thing is this, that God will provide direction. Even on your worst day, God will provide strength. And even on your worst day, God will provide direction. David inquired of the Lord, shall I pursue this raiding party? Will I overtake them? Pursue them, he answered. You will certainly overtake them and succeed in the rescue. Sometimes God doesn't speak to me about the things I want him to talk to me about. I remember one time I went on like a 10-day, like, ministry thing, prayer retreat with some friends of mine. I was younger. And uh, I'm like, man, I, and there was this girl I was dating at the time, and I'm like, oh, I'm going to hear from Jesus whether I was supposed to propose to this girl. Like I went, I spent 10 days fasting and praying, seeking God. God talked to me about everything else, not a word about this woman, not a word. And I'm like, that's what, and the Lord was like, well, here's other things that I'm doing in your life. How many know the thing on your agenda for God to answer is not necessarily the thing that he's going to talk to you about right now? You know what I mean? The next time I saw that girl, I'm like, oh, man, this might be it. She walked in the room, and it was like, wah, wah, wah. I'm like, oh, yeah, this isn't supposed to happen. About a year later, I met Kristen, and praise Jesus for making, you know what God was working on that time? The other stuff that was more important, because he knew Kristen was coming. He's like, you are going to be a pastor's husband, but you, like you are today, is not going to make the grade, so i got to work on you. And I'm like, Lord, what college do you want me to go to? What woman do you want to marry? And Jesus is like, I need you to read these books. I need you to get this mentor. I need you to repent of this sin. And I need you to start getting good at this skill. And I'm like, that's not what I want to hear. And God is like, oh, buddy, it's what you need to hear. Right? 
How many know God will give you his direction? He just might not tell you the thing that you're most interested in hearing about at the time. But here's the deal. Even on your worst day, God wants to let you know what his direction is. God will let you know what his direction is. God was faithful to give direction to David. He'll be faithful to give direction to you. Here's one that really stands out to me in this text. And I just want to say it. That God will, even on your worst day, God will use you to help save others. This is what's crazy to me. David and his men have lost everything. And they're in hot pursuit of the Amalekites, and they see this abandoned Egyptian, a foreigner. He's not a Philistine. He's not an Amalekite. He's not an Israelite. He's something entirely other. And he's laying on the side of the road, and he hasn't eaten or drank anything in three days. I got to tell you, if I see a guy on the side of the road who's suffering and hurting, and my kids and my wife are in jeopardy, I'm maybe not going to stop. But they grab this guy. And they decide, you know what, All, along the way of, of following what God's asked us to do, we're not going to just abandon this, this man and we're going to let him die. And it turns out that as they revive this man, they give him some food, they give him some drink, and he revives enough to tell him his story. How many know that that orientation of compassion ends up being the key to their victory? If you compromise who you are to try to get to your goals, you'll miss by a mile. These guys realize even though we're contending for this thing for us personally, we're not going to lose who we are. We're people who are not going to leave this man on the side of the road to die. There's times when you'll be in pain and you'll not have the answer to your situation. But somehow or another, God's salvation will come through you. God's salvation will come through you. And a lot of times we say, well, man, I'll invite my friends to church. I'll, I'll you know, offer to pray for people. I'll be a little more bold about my faith once my life gets better. And sometimes God says, even while you're on the way to your victory, don't forget your mission. Don't forget your mission. Lastly, even on your worst day, God will give you victory. David recovered everything the Amalekites had taken, including his family. Nothing was missing, either old boy or girl, plunder or anything else they had taken. David brought everything back. The last couple weeks, we just started singing the song that we sang today, too, about Defender, about how God is going to lead us into victory. And as we trust him, he can give us victory. I want to encourage you today with the reality that um, even if you don't feel like you're particularly good at following Jesus, so in other words, even if you're not a good sheep, he is an excellent shepherd. And there's days when I don't feel very holy and very spiritual, and days I don't want to read my Bible, and days that I don't want to pray, and days that I'm like, oh, my God, I just, people are terrible. I don't want to be around them. And I'm like, I know I'm called to be a pastor, but pastoring would be amazing if it weren't for all these annoying folks. Um, and the Lord is like, man, you are really far from my heart today. And there's days I just feel like I'm missing by a mile. There's days that I fall into sin. There's, and, and, and there's days that I have the wrong attitude. And there's days that I'm like, Lord, am I even going to make it? And the Lord says, listen, I'm a good shepherd. If you lose faith in your ability to follow me, I can still get you there. There's a time in our lives, it's a really difficult time. Um, it was not that long ago. It was maybe about a year before T.D. and Callie came to Ponca City. Our son was in an incredible trial. He had some diagnosable issues, and they were trying to get him on the right medication. And then he got some street drugs from friends that, because he was feeling so horrible, he started trying them. And it, the, this young man that we had known and loved our whole life suddenly became super foreign to us. 
and he disappeared. He would disappear for like five days at a time. We had no idea where it was. How many knows a parent? There's no greater grief in your heart. Whole time, we're pastoring. Whole time, I'm standing up there and preaching about the faithfulness of God. But I'm starting to feel like David. One of those nights during that time where our son was in the greatest crisis, we had our house vandalized and broken into. We had a person, while we were in the house, take a hammer and smash through our, our sliding glass door in the back. It was terrifying. My daughters are screaming. Ends up, our house ends up being totally vandalized. Somebody took a baseball bat to our television inside of our house, holes everywhere, broken glass everywhere. Meantime, this whole time this is going on, our son is in horrible crisis, and I... I made a desperate cry to Jesus. Lord, I don't have anything left. Please intervene. When are you going to put a shield of your hand over our lives and make this spiritual warfare stop? I happened to make another desperate call that night. I called your pastors. Happened to be on our staff. One in the morning, they drive over to our house. With tears in their eyes, they hug us and they say, we love you, we're with you. My two high school-aged daughters jumped in the car with Callie, crying, sobbing, fearful. Callie loves them, takes them to her house. They sleep at the Davis's home that night. They get loved on. They get encouraged. TD stays till late in the night, help me clean up broken glass all over my house. How many know your pastors are fighters? <laughs> your pastors are fighters. And your pastors are the kind of people that when you need to tag somebody into your battle and your journey, they will pray. And they will pray aggressively and fully. And they will go to war. And I've watched them go to war on my behalf from things that were my prayer requests in times when I know they had their own issues. But they are people with big faith. And I don't know, I don't know what that season, I will be honest, I don't know what that season of leadership and just trying to make it through would, would have been like had God not had them in our lives. I know that the Lord sent T.D. and Callie to Kristen and I for that season of our lives. And they would say it was beneficial to them. I would say it was more beneficial to us. So I knew God had to have something pretty special in mind for them to be sent somewhere else. I know that there's big plans that Jesus has for Ponca City Church and for this city. But I remember that whole season of my life, I got to the point where I had no strength. I felt completely lost for direction. I was praying desperate prayers. I didn't feel like they were being answered. I kept trying to be a leader and a pastor, and there was nothing left in the tank. This last Saturday, my wife and I went to our son's college graduation. Amazing. He graduated with associate arts from a school called Musicians Institute. Um, his heart has been completely softened to the Lord. God has done some physical healing. It's just, he's like a different person. It's like the kid that we once knew came back. And I know so many families, I know there might be families in this room, you're still waiting on the end of that story. Let me just give you confidence. In a time that we didn't think it was going to happen, God, over a course of time and over a battle that raged for a little bit of time, God gave him back to us. God gave him back to us. There's that that story's happening all over this nation right now. And how many know it happens to pastors and it happens to plumbers? It happens to everybody. That your kid ends up being a target of the enemy, that the enemy is just trying to take them out with everything. And you just, there's a battle that needs to happen. But in all of our exhaustion and in all of our fear, I just, I just re recalled and my wife and I walked and we, as we laid in bed that night, we just held each other's hands and we said, surely the Lord has been faithful to us. When we had no strength, 
I was considering quitting the pastorate. I'm like, what, what can I do? I have nothing to give. I'm done. I'm done. I, I'm so burnt out. I'm angry at God. I'm angry at everybody. The p- people don't like me right now. I hate everyone. Like, this is a tough time. I'm grieving what feels like my son is just gone. And as we sat there in that bed that night and we held each other's hand, we said, surely the Lord was faithful. Even on our worst day, God gave us strength. He gave us the strength we needed. Even on our worst day, he gave us direction. Even on our worst day, even through that dark season of our life that lasted two and a half years, the Lord used us to bring hope to other people. Even though our victory wasn't fully won yet. People talk about what happened. Like We watched you trust God through that huge season. It gave us incredible encouragement and God used that to change our life. And even on our worst day, God said, I'm still committed to your victory. Can I have our worship team come back up? Um, And as we close in prayer this morning, I just want to ask you this question. What is it that you most need from the Lord today? You may find yourself in need of strength. You may find yourself in need of direction, in need of clarity. You may find yourself in need of a victory that seems so, so far away that just doesn't seem like you can get there. But I want to say this to you, the Jesus Christ that's the same yesterday, today, and forever, he sees you today. And even on your worst day, he's faithful. I think there's been times in my life, even after I've been a pastor, even as a Christian leader, that I've been ashamed to come to the Lord because if I look in the rearview mirror of my last week, I see a lot of sin. You know, times when you're super discouraged and you just kind of throw in the towel, what? And, and you just realize, man, I'm not, I'm not being my best self right now. And the Lord says, I love you not because of your behavior. I love you not because of your performance. I certainly want to change your life. I certainly want you to act in a way that honors my kingdom. But even when you don't, that doesn't mean you're no longer loved. That doesn't mean I'm no longer committed to you. As a matter of fact, I am the one who is able to keep you from falling and present you before the presence of his glory, it says, with exceeding joy. I'm going to get to the finish line, not because I'm a good follower of Jesus. I'm going to get to the finish line because he's an amazing shepherd. So today you might have undone stuff in your life. You might have some sin in your life. You might have some problems that are, are undone. But here's the thing. I want you to just say, Jesus, would you get me to the finish line? Would you get me all the way to the victory? The Lord already knows the issues of our lives. The Lord knows the places where we settle in on a bad attitude. The Lord knows all of our missteps. And the Lord says, I'm still committed to you. I'm committed to you, and I'm going to get you all the way there. The Lord knows the heartbreak. The Lord knows the failure. The Lord knows the trauma. The Lord knows the things that other people don't see because they see your smile when you say, yeah, I'm fine. And when you're not fine, the Lord knows. But he says, I'm still committed to give you strength. I'm committed to give you guidance. I'm committed to give you victory. Lord Jesus, this morning, as we close, would you touch hearts and lives in this place, whatever capacity we this morning need to experience you, Jesus, as our strength, as our guide, as our victory. Lord, we yield that to you. We yield that to you. Would you just take a moment and tell the Lord exactly what it is that you need?
in this season of your life. Just tell them, Lord, it's, this is it. This is what I need. This is what I'm facing, and this is what I, I'm trusting you for. Lord, you are good, and we trust you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you all so much for the privilege of being with you today. Take good care of your pastors. They're good people. Love y'all.